Bible reading is one of our shorter of the readings we've had in Revelation. And I'd like to invite Tom forward, who's going to lead us in our reading. Good morning. The reading is found on page 1007, 1007, Revelations 2011. Then I saw a great white throne, and the one who sat on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Also another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and all were judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, we're finally making our way uh to the end of the book of Revelation, and things are coming to their destined conclusion. The end is nigh, uh, particularly for the series of Revelation. (laughs) Evil has been named and dealt with in the preceding chapters, in all its manifestations. The dragon, Satan, the beast, and the false prophet, they've all been tossed into the lake of fire, never to be released again. The ebb and flow of history has come and gone. Today is Judgment Day, the final reckoning. And next Sunday, there'll be the new heavens and the new earth. (laughs) And our final revelation message, the Sunday after that, 27th of October, we'll be locating ourselves in the great river of time. And where do we find ourselves in God's view of history? Well, at the point on which we're standing now, at the Day of Judgment before the vision of this great white throne. Satan has been dealt with, his history is concluded, his last chapter is done and dusted, the great dragon has done his worst, he's faced his judgment, his career is over. All that remains on Judgment Day is for all of humanity to face the judge. And then the end of all this comes. Well, this is a day, this Judgment Day that's spoken of in Revelation 20, that we will all face. So this passage is about your personal story. It's a chapter in your life. You are one of the characters in this scene that's being described in Revelation 20. As they used to say on the television program, this is your life. (laughs) Only you're standing there with myriads of others before the throne. It's all of our lives. Well, what will happen on that day? What will the day be like? It's a very important question for all of us to think deeply about. Now, Christians have always believed and taught that there will come a judgment day, and on that day, Jesus will be the judge. It's what Jesus said. He spoke repeatedly of the day of judgment when he was traveling around and teaching. John 5, 22 
The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. John 5, 27. The Son of Man has been given authority to judge. And also the apostles in Acts 10, when Peter is preaching to the household of Cornelius, and also in Acts 17, when Paul is preaching in Athens, they both announce that a day is coming when Jesus will judge all people, those who are still alive at the time and all who have died in the past. So this has always been considered a core part of the Christian faith, and for the apostles, it was a core part of the gospel, an essential part of the message of salvation, that Jesus would come and judge all people. It's also in the creeds, in the Nicene Creed, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And this is a, a reference to 2 Timothy 4.1, where Paul writes, he will judge the living and the dead. Well, what does this day hold in store for us? What will happen on that day? What should we feel? What should we think about Judgment Day? Now, there are some topics in the Bible on which um, the Bible doesn't speak with just one voice. You have to hold different things together and weigh Scripture up together with Scripture in order to get the whole picture. And that's what we're going to do with this issue of Judgment Day, because when it comes to judgment, the Bible, the New Testament in particular, says two different things about it, and we want to hold them together. So, on the one hand, the Bible provides many reassurances that those who die believing in Christ will be saved. Romans 10.13 and Acts 2.21 both say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and by that they mean the name of Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And Jesus in John 5.24 said, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me, that is, believes that Jesus is speaking from the Father, has eternal life. So whoever hears my word and believes me, has eternal life already and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So whoever believes in me, Jesus says, will not be judged, but has already crossed over from death to life. Likewise, Paul in Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So this is a sure promise of getting through the judgment, of escaping the judgment somehow by depending upon God's grace and mercy. At the same time, there are many references in the New Testament scriptures to a real judgment where everyone's deeds will be brought into the light and weighed up. John 5.28, Jesus says, A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out those who have done what is good will rise to, light, to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. And it's really interesting that Jesus says that just after saying that those who believe in him have already crossed over from death to life and escaped judgment. He then says the dead will be raised and, and uh, people who have done good will be raised to life and those who have done what is evil will be condemned. So he's holding these two ideas together in the same passage. Consider the parable, the great parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. Jesus says, The Son of Man will come in his glory and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. So this is the scene being described in Revelation 20. Jesus is on the throne 
and all the nations are gathered. And, and, and then Matthew says, he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So in this parable, Jesus explains the criterion for being separated into one group or the other. And the criterion is really interesting. It'll be whether someone saw Jesus hungry and gave him something to eat, when, whether he was sick and they looked after him, whether he was a stranger and they invited him in, whether he was thirsty and they gave him something to drink, whether he was naked and they gave him clothes, whether Jesus was in prison and they visited him. And then it says that the goats and the sheep will say, well, when did we, the goats will say, when did we do that? And he says it's referring to his brothers and sisters. He said, did you love and care for my brothers and sisters, the least of these? If you did it for any of them, you did it for me. So that's the criterion in this passage. Did you love the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ? Visit them in prison, feed them. Did you give Jesus food when he was hungry? And then it says that in the parable, in the story, the goats are sent off to the eternal fire, eternal punishment, and the righteous go to eternal life. So in Matthew 25, the criterion is our actions in how we respond to Jesus' family in need. And then, actually, Jesus gives other criteria in other places for the judgment at different times. So he repeatedly taught that we will not be forgiven unless we forgive others. So we should forgive if we want to be forgiven. For example, in Matthew 18, 35, the story of the unjust steward who's forgiven but then throws someone else in prison and refuses to forgive somebody else... Um, and he gets into a lot of trouble. He ends up in prison himself because he wouldn't forgive. And Jesus says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So this is the theme also in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So here the criterion is, have we forgiven others? And then in Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, but I tell you, that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every idle word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So here Jesus is saying every, every little word that you've spoken will be, will be taken up against you in judgment, and that'll be the criterion. We'll be judged by our words. And then also in the epistles, there are lists of different kinds of sinners and sins who will not inherit the kingdom of God, including thieves, slanderers, gossips, the sexually immoral. There's quite a number of lists. In other places, Jesus laments that whole communities and peoples will be judged because they wouldn't welcome him or they wouldn't welcome his disciples. He speaks in Matthew of the people of Nineveh rising up and the queen of Sheba rising up to condemn the current generation when he was preaching who were not responding to his message. And then when he sends the disciples out in Matthew to preach the gospel, he says it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for those who reject them and will not listen to their words. So he says to them, if they won't listen, just go to another place. So here the criterion for judgment is whether people accept Jesus and the message that his disciples bring in his name, whether they accept the gospel. So what are we to make of all this teaching, and what will happen to us on Judgment Day? Well, we need to hold these two themes together. Firstly, there will be a Judgment Day when everyone will be, to be held to account for what we have done, 
And secondly, those who believe in the Lord Jesus will pass through judgment to eternal life. As it says in John 5.24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. So on the day of judgment, there will be a sifting through all that we have done in the body, what we've done, what we've said, everything in our life. And also those who believe in Jesus will be saved, even though their lives will be examined and considered at the same time. Paul writes a bit about this in 1 Corinthians 3, when he's talking about how a person builds, and he's referring to the kind of Christian life you live, what sort of life you live for God. And he's referring to his own work in building the church. And he says that the work we do in our life for the kingdom will be tested on the day of judgment. In 1 Corinthians 3.13, he says that what and how we build will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames." So the image is someone's built this house and then it gets burnt. And what survives is what will endure through that day of judgment. That is, if it's been built with brick or stone or metal, you know, it'll survive the fire. But if it's made of straw and just, um, uh, just you know, chaff, you know, it'll all be burnt up. But it's interesting, he says, that the builder, who's the Christian believer, even though what they've done has not been of, of huge enduring value... Um, they will be saved, uh, but not because of their works. They'll be saved by faith in Christ. But we'll still be tested for what we've done. We'll still be examined. So we'll be held to account for how we build the fruit of our lives. Even the, the believer whose life is not that fruitful will be saved, as it were, by the skin of their teeth. Now, these thoughts, they call for great humility and a combination of bold, immovable trust in God, but also a deep resolution, a conviction to serve the Lord with all integrity and diligence and care in our life. Let's come back to this passage. Now, this passage is like a, a focal point which distills all of the things I've been speaking about. John sees a final vision, his last vision of the throne. In previous visions, the throne room scenes are quite busy. There's lots of things happening. Multitudes of worshippers, graphic images of God, the lamb that was slain, and all the angels flying around, and, and the sea, and, uh, and thunder, and lightning. But this time, it's just very, very simple. A great white throne, and a figure seated on it. We know this figure must be Jesus. The Gospels speak of the Son of Man seated on his glorious throne in judgment, Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. That is the, the position of judgment, to be seated on the throne. And it also says, the earth and the sky flee before the presence of the one on the throne. He's too holy for the earth and the sky even to continue and be present with him. The throne fills the whole scene and it says there's not even a place anymore for the earth or the sky. This is to emphasize the purity and the holiness of the one on the throne, that even the earth itself, even the environment itself that we live in today cannot endure in the presence of the living God. 
Jesus is sitting on this spotlessly white throne. And the whole focus is on the Son of God seated in judgment on this throne. And then it says the dead are raised to life, great and small. No matter how significant or insignificant, no matter how long or short their life was, they are all raised at that point. All people are as equals on that day. Whatever their life afforded to them, they can't take it with them to this particular meeting. It says the dead come from Hades. That's a Greek word which translates the idea of Sheol, which is the place of the dead. Uh, the images of people buried in the earth are kind of kept in cold storage once they die. And that also says the sea gives up its dead as well. So people come up, out of the, are raised out of the earth and out of the oceans, and the multitudes are raised, and they gather together before the judgment seat, and it says that the books are opened. What are these books? Well, these are the records of our lives. All is made known in the heavenly court on Judgment Day. The secrets are revealed. Paul speaks of this in Romans 2. He says that judgment will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So he's saying, my gospel, my message of salvation is that on that day, the secrets of the hearts will be revealed and Jesus will judge justly. No more secrets on that day, on that great and terrible day. And each person will be judged according to what they have done. But there's something else happening on that day as well. The book of life is also opened. What is the book of life? It's different from the books that record our deeds. It's mentioned in Psalm 69:28, a record of the names of the righteous. This is a record of the names of those destined for life. In Revelations 13 and 17, it's already mentioned this book, and it says that these names were inscribed there from the creation of the world, which is a great mystery. So this is a very definite and specific list ordained by God. Alongside judgment, there is the record of the book of life. This is what Revelation elsewhere calls the Lamb's Book of Life. Why is it the Lamb's Book of Life? Because it's a list of those for whom the Lamb has died. So this is the key. This is why it says in John 5.24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. This is the record, the Lamb's Book of Life, of all those who have believed in the Son of God for salvation. All those who have believed, uh, together with John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I believe the Scriptures make clear that we will all face judgment. There will be a book with our deeds written in them, and that book will be opened. But beside every deed, there will be a red line through it that will say, paid for, paid for, forgiven, paid for, forgiven. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. This is the natural state of humanity, that we are unable to pass the judgment. Everyone is in the same boat in that respect. The good news is that those who call upon the name of the Lord 
will be saved. Not by their own merits or their good deeds, as some sometimes imagine. Oh, I've led a good life, I'll be okay. That's not how it works. But it's only by the grace of, the, of Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb, that we'll be saved. The Scriptures make this so clearly, make this so clear. All who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Through faith in the Lamb, we will find our names to be written in the Lamb's book of life. When we come before the throne of grace, it won't do us any good to say, look, here's my good deeds. These are the good things I... People think I'm a great bloke or a great woman, you know, and I've got all these people who say they really like me. That's not going to cut it. It's not going to be enough. Because you're actually standing before the throne of, of, of God, before the throne of Jesus. Even heaven and even the skies and the earth have fled away before this sight. And you can't stand there and say, here's my life, accept me because I'm such a good person. It's not going to work. But you do have a plea. You have a plea, which is, Lord, accept me because of what the Lamb has done for me, because he has died for me, because he shed his blood for me. And that's what will happen as the book is opened, that the Lamb's initials will be written by all your deeds and you will be forgiven. Uh, in that great hymn that we sang at the end of the uh, nine o'clock service, um, it says in the last verse, Bold I approach the eternal throne to claim the crown. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? That at that point when the, the, the heavens and the earth are fleeing before the throne, the great white throne, the Son of Man sitting there, judging all the peoples of the earth in history, that someone could come before the throne boldly and claim a crown in front of that throne. But not based on their own worth, based on what Christ has done, based on faith in the Lamb of God. Now, this is a cause of great rejoicing for those who believe. Bold, I approach the eternal throne. Jesus said to his disciples, when they came back from a successful preaching tour in which they saw many miracles, he said, don't rejoice, the demons flee in my name, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I have two applications for us here now. The first one is, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Your own good works can't achieve it, but Christ has won it for you if you will let him speak on your behalf and be the one who has paid your debt. And if you've never actually made that commitment in your life to say, Lord, I want to be shielded, I want to be covered by the blood of Christ, I would like to be able to come before the throne of grace boldly on that day and claim a, throne, a, a, a crown that you've prepared for me. If you'd like to do that, in a moment I will lead you in a prayer for that. And you know, you can sit in a church all your life and never have actually understood that and accepted that for yourself. I've met people like that who spent 80 years in church and never understood this. But you need to claim life for yourself by believing in Jesus that he has done enough, that what he has done is enough for you. And in a moment, we'll, we'll pray that prayer together. The second thing I want to say to those who know this already, knowing that you're saved, remember, in the boldness that you enjoy because of what Christ has done for you, that you will still need to give account of your life, how you've built. The books will be opened, and it will be significant. It will be a significant moment in your personal story. And all I can say is implore you and ask you to be as prepared as you can be for that day, not only by exercising faith now that you have passed 
to eternal life now and living that out, walking in that faith for your life, but also by building well, by living your life according to what Christ has done. Live a life worthy of the calling that God has placed on your life. Live a life worthy of someone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It's been written in blood. Your name has been written in the blood of the Lamb. And that calls for a life, a consecrated life, a life of obedience, of submission, of joyful fruitfulness in in his name. It calls for a a life of holiness, actually a a deep response uh, to the love of God in your life, of, of a commitment to follow and to hear and to listen. So I'd like to pray, firstly, Uh, If there's anybody here who has never before clearly uh, claimed the covering of the blood of the Lamb over your life, I'd like to just pray with you now. I just invite every head to be bowed, eyes closed. And if this is you, I invite you just to stretch out your hands before you now, before the Lord. And I'm going to pray words and invite you to make them yours. Heavenly Father, I choose today to call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Please forgive me for the wrong I have done. I do claim the blood of Jesus shed for me today. Thank you that Jesus has died for me. And Lord, I choose today to believe that that is enough. That is enough for my salvation. And Lord, I set aside every vain hope of trying to meet the standard by my own efforts. And I choose to rely solely on what Christ has done for me. And Lord, I ask, dear Father, that my name would be written in the book of life this day. Because I have trusted in Jesus that the Lamb of God died for me. And Lord, I pray that you would Grant me the gift of your Holy Spirit that I could live for you, that I could build a life that would bring honor and glory to your name. And Lord, I choose to look to this day that lies ahead of me, this great day, with hope and confidence in what Christ has done for me. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son, Jesus. I choose to be someone who has passed from death to life. Lord, thank you for the gift of eternal life. Amen. Amen. If you pray that prayer, as it were, for the first time today, I'd love to meet with you and just talk with you after the service or connect with Michelle or a friend that you know here. But let me pray for the rest of us. Heavenly Father, we are very conscious that uh, you've given us a life to live. And it's an incredible gift. And Lord, we know that there are many times where we've said idle words that we shouldn't have and we've done things we shouldn't have and there's all sorts of brokenness uh, heaped up in different places. Uh, but Lord, I ask that you would just move in us by your great love and your, the power of your spirit, that you'd transform and renew us, Lord, that you'd give us grace to build well, whether we have moments yet to live or many years yet to live, whether it's short or long, Lord, we ask that you would, by your grace, enable us to consecrate the life that you've given us to your glory. Give us clarity of vision that we could fix our eyes on Jesus as the perfecter of our faith, as the pioneer who showed us the way. Lord, I pray for a clear-eyed vision for all of us 
that we could be focused on the one who's called us to life. And Lord, I just, I just rejoice. I thank you that our names are written in the book of life, that the Lamb's book has uh, the names of these brothers and sisters in it. And that's a, a source of great rejoicing. Lord, help us to live accordingly to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.